Well, if you have your notes, go ahead and turn straight to page four in the notes there that I have given to you tonight. And we're going to continue in our study on what to expect. And uh, all the details in prophecy, remember, are always like putting puzzle pieces together and you don't really know how the puzzle is going to fit together. But we do the best that we can with bits of scripture here and bits of scripture there and try to tie it all together so it makes some good sense. But there are several things, and we are talking about the ninth thing on about, I think, 10 or 11 uh, things that we're trying to discuss uh, regarding the actual events that we know are going to happen. And we know that the next thing on the list of God's plan for prophecy is the, the rapture. And Luke chapter 21, verse 28 reminds us to straighten up, lift up our heads, because our redemption is drawing nigh. We do not know when the Lord's going to come back. It could happen in a moment. It could happen in a year. It could happen in a hundred years. It could happen in a thousand years. That's God's business. But he did tell us that we're supposed to be ready. Because we never know when it's going to happen. Everything in the world looks like it's going to happen any time. But that's God's business. So we'll trust him for that. Our job is just to be ready. And then you're going to have after, the, uh, after that, we're going to go up into the Bema Seat, the Judgment Seat of Christ, where we receive the rewards for what we've done. I remember reading, going through that study and just being encouraged by the fact that even if we just simply give out a glass of water in the name of the Lord, there's a reward for that. And the, the Lord's paying attention to all of these things. I think we think of the Judgment Seat as being a time when we get in trouble with the Lord. But no, it's a time when we receive rewards from the Lord. And that's what, we want. that's what we want to be looking for. Okay, and then there's the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we are intimately united with the Lord, and uh, we step into that relationship with Him as the groom and us as the bride of Christ. And then uh, on earth, while after the rapture, the reign of Antichrist is beginning to take place, on page 5 is where we are now, and, uh, and He comes in, and He starts off for three and a half years, acting like he's Israel's friend. Now remember, Israel's always kind of at the centerpiece of all of prophecy because they're the, they God's chosen people and all the prophecy is kind of built around them. Jesus Christ was a Jew. He came to redeem Jews. Romans talks about he came to the Jew first and then also to the Greek, right? And if you look at the book of Acts, you see that the church began with Jewish people in Jerusalem and then it spread out to the Gentile nations beyond that. So, the Jews are the centerpiece of, of all of history. They're the centerpiece of all of prophecy. And we need to keep that in mind. The Antichrist is going to build a relationship with the Jewish people and act like he's their friend and act like he's going to, uh, to uh, do everything that he can to protect them. And he sets up the, and he builds the new, ta uh, new temple there in Jerusalem. And halfway through, there's this great battle. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And, and then he begins to take over and become, he names himself to be God, and, uh, and then turns on the Jews and turns on everybody else. And then the last half of the tribulation period is extremely terrible. And then so that's where we go right into that tribulation period. And there's a chart there that kind of tells you about all of the trumpets and all of the bowls and all of the, all of the trials that are going to come. And you can study that out. I tried to print it up big enough this time. I think we put it in the, in, in the past notes where it was so small you couldn't read it without a magnifying glass. And so it's a little bigger so you can actually see that. But uh, page 6, the middle of the tribulation period, we have the judgment of the nations. 
This is where the king of the north, Gog of the north, decides that he's going to come down and attack Antichrist. He doesn't like the fact that Antichrist has declared himself to be the ruler of the world. And he's trying to rebel against him. And he gets several nations all around Israel to gather together. And they go to attack Jerusalem because that's Antichrist's headquarters. And the interesting thing to me is found in that verse there on page 6. Uh, Ezekiel thirty-eight fourteen to 16, you see the Lord kind of pulling the strings behind the thing and uh, making things happen according to his will. Ezekiel thirty-eight fourteen to 16, Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to God, Thus saith the Lord God, On the day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army, and you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. And it shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land. And then you see there, God sends an earthquake. I, mean, I got all these things listed out for you on page 6. We've done this study before. Uh, he'll send an earthquake. He will cause infighting among Gog's armies and the other armies. And they will fight against one another and destroy one another. He'll send a bloody pestilence, a sickness that will come in a plague of some kind that will cause more trouble on them. And then fourth, he will rain hail, fire, and brimstone on the enemies of Israel. And he will defeat all of these people who come to fight against Antichrist. Why? Because God is trying to take out all of the nations that would eventually try to fight against him. God's purpose in the battle, at bottom of page 6, is Ezekiel 38:23. I will magnify myself. God orchestrated all this to happen for his glory. Because when he defeats these nations, they recognize him as God. Israel particularly recognizes him to be God. And then when Antichrist sets himself up to be God, the Jews say, no, you're not God. The God who took care of all those armies, that's the God. And he's the one we're going to worship. Ezekiel 39, verse 12, the fallout from the battle is so severe that for seven months the house of Israel will be burying all of those who fought against Israel on that day in order to cleanse the land. Verse 7, again, or page 7 now, and that's again where it seems plausible that that's where Antichrist steps in and says, I did all of that, I took, I caused that earthquake, I caused all that trouble, I, I brought down that hail and brimstone against Gog and Magog and all those people. And, uh, and so he sets himself up as God. And Israel's response, Ezekiel 39, verse 7, My holy name will I make known in the midst of my people Israel. Verse 22, And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day onward. So God gets Israel's attention. That's what this is all about. You know, at this point in time, Israel has rejected the Lord Jesus. At this point in time, they really have. Up, even up to this day, they still, you talked talk about the Lord Jesus, and they don't want to talk to you about that. They get quite angry about that. And they just don't believe that he's the Messiah. But after these things, things are going to start clicking in their minds, and the Lord's going to be turning the, turning the lights on in their hearts and drawing them to the Lord Jesus. And there's going to come a time when Israel recognizes Jesus Christ as the Messiah. It's going to be a great time. So there's all this trouble that happens. And in the middle of all that, bottom of page 7, uh, Antichrist has set himself up, and he's now going after Israel because they're rejecting him and they're trying to follow God. And God sends two witnesses in. And I don't know who they are. I don't know their names. It could be Elijah and Moses. I don't know who they are. But they show up and they have incredible powers. Revelation 11, verses 3 through 12, bottom of page 7. I'll read that. I, God, will grant authority to my two witnesses. 
and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that the rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them, that's Antichrist, and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, that's Jerusalem, which mystically is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. I expect that'll be all over CNN or whatever television stations are going on in those days. Verse 10, And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Look at the next page. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet. These dead bodies that had been laying in the street for three and a half days. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. That would scare me. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up hither, or come up here. And they went up into heaven in the cloud, like Jesus did when he went in Acts chapter 1. And their enemies watched them, like the disciples did as Jesus ascended into heaven. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. A tenth of Jerusalem falls down. And 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. They know who's in charge now. They know. And then God raises up 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Uh, I think it's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they go around proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Preaching this in the middle of the tribulation period. And people will be coming to Christ left and right. People will be accepting Jesus Christ. Jewish people. Gentile people. All sorts of people will be coming to know the Lord. And it will be a wonderful thing. And in the middle of that, we have also people that want to rebel against the Lord still. Antichrist gathers together an army, and there's a lot of things that happen there. And then the Lord comes back. He appears. Remember, the second coming comes in two stages. I'm in the middle of page 8 now. You've got the first stage, which we talked about as being the next thing, which is the rapture. And then seven years later comes the second coming. And we have signs that talk about the second coming. We have no signs that talk about the rapture. Jesus said, be ready. The signs of the second coming. So if you see the signs of the second coming, that means, hey, maybe we are getting closer because after that, seven years, boy, Jesus is coming. So we just need to be alert and pay attention because the world is seeming to line up. But again, that's God's business and his timing. Signs of the last days before the second coming. Bottom of page 8. Uh, Luke twenty one twenty, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that their desolation is over, or that is near. And those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land, and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will lead be led captive into all the nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Again, these nations are gathering together to fight against Antichrist 
But ultimately, the devil is going to come along and turn those armies away from Antichrist and to Jesus Christ. And that's the Battle of Armageddon. All right, page 9. The nations gather to attack Antichrist. That's in Daniel chapter 11. It talks about that. We won't get into all of that. We've done this before. The signs that disguise that foretell Christ's return, the middle of page 9. The world goes dark. A worldwide sign in heaven. I don't know what that exactly is. Nobody really does, but someone has suggested that it'll be some kind of a bright light out in the sky that'll be so huge that everybody will see it. Reminds me of the star of Bethlehem, maybe. And as the earth rotates, everybody on the earth is going to see that thing. And they're going to know there's something going on. It's the sign of the Lord. Matthew 24, 30, bottom of page 9. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And when all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with power and great glory. And then Matthew 24, 31. This is important for tonight's lesson. You want to see this. Uh, And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, and one end of the sky to the other. So these four angels are, have, a, have, a, have a mission, and that is to gather up all the believers, the true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how they're going to do this. I don't know if it's going to be a big 747 or a basket or what it's going to be. I don't know how somehow they're going to gather them all together into one spot where the Lord can meet with them. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Page 10, the arrival of the King of Kings. Don't forget page 9. We're going to come back to that that yellow box. Okay? The arrival of the King of Kings, Revelation 19, 11 to 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Again, this is the idea. This is the opposite of what we normally think of Jesus, being meek and mild and... You know, he always loved everybody and he did all But remember, he is the ultimate judge. He is the creator. He is the redeemer. And everyone who rejects him is going to face him one day as judge. And so we do need to know that. He is God and he is powerful. And he is not mealy-mouthed in any way, shape, or form. All right, it says he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, verse 12, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1, beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 14, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on the white horses. Those are those who are raptured up at the rapture. And now... They went up to be with him, and now they're coming back with him to the earth. Verse 15, And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he has come to rule and reign over the millennial kingdom. All right? All these deaths that take place at that battle of Armageddon. The birds of the prey are called out to the great supper of the God. And the armies of earth and hell gather at the Armageddon in Mark Revelation 16. And with the word of his mouth, the Lord unleashes the most powerful weapon the world has ever known. And that is the word of God. 
and the description of what happens there is found in Zechariah. Look at um, look at page eleven here. Jesus Christ returns bodily to the Mount of Olives. He puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. That's the mountain where he ascended to heaven. And he is going to come down. I want to see that. I'm hoping to see that in May or June this year. I want to go see that Mount of Olives. It's a mountain now. But Zechariah 14, verse 4 and uh, 5. Uh, I'm not going to read through verse 15. Uh, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. So that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Verse 8, and in that day living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be summer as well as in winter. Verse 9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one, in his name the only one. And you see Antichrist and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire forever. That's their eternal destiny, destiny. Antichrist has raised up his fist against God, and God says, that's enough of that. False prophet did the same thing, that's enough of that. They tried to raise people in armies against the Lord. Satan's armies are immediately destroyed by the word of Christ. The rest were killed, Revelation 19.21, with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Zechariah 14, verses 3 and 4, if you've got a weak stomach, don't read those verses. It talks about eyeballs melting and tongues melting and people just melting away is what it's all about. And uh, that's going to happen. Verse 15 of Zechariah 14. So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. Anything that was associated with the devil and his, and his armies is just going to go away. And their souls will be cast into hell. Then the millennial reign of Jesus Christ comes in. And this is what we want to talk about tonight in the next few minutes. All right? The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 what happens here. Satan is chained. And he is thrown into an abyss. And they put a cover over the top of it that's heavier than anything, anything Tupperware ever came up with. Okay? He's no, it's sealed and he is no way getting out of that thing. Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Notice this. Satan, all through history, has been named. Satan, all through history, has been considered this great, mighty, powerful angel. One of the archangels. He, was, he walked in the garden of God, Isaiah talks about him. And he was, the, he, he, he was the one who raised up and said, I will be like the most guy. And he raises up all these other angels that fall, fall, go with him. And he's led trouble. He's, he's been causing trouble since the garden of Eden all the way through. And then verse 1 says, an angel coming down from heaven. An angel nobody knows. Some unnamed angel. Just, just I don't know, God said, you, go get him. And with the power of God, Satan is overcome immediately with no squawking, no trouble, no difficulty whatsoever. I saw an angel come down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is like the devil and Satan. And bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. We'll talk about that, too. So for a thousand years, 
Satan's not going around to people and trying to lie to them and, steal and, 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 and deceive them into falling into sin. He's not raising up armies. He's not causing any trouble. He is completely... King James says he's, they shut him up. I like that. He can't say anything. He can't yell. He can't make orders. He can't raise his arm against God. He can't do a thing. He is nailed. And then page 12. As the victor of the battle of, the Armaged of Armageddon, Jesus Christ will be king of kings. We read those verses. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he is going to be the overall ruler of the entire, all of creation. And, uh, and there will be, he will be totally unopposed. There will be no one raising up a fist against him. He rules with a rod of iron, he says in the middle of verse 15 of Revelation 19. And then God's saints will take their place on their rightful thrones. And I don't understand how all this puts together, but I've tried to figure it out by looking at these verses. But there, there are groups of people that all rule and reign with the Lord. It's like, he's the king, but we work under him. But we reign with him. There are some Old Testament saints. There are some New Testament saints. The twelve apostles are supposed to rule over the twelve tribes of Israel. And then you have resurrected tribulation saints that will be included in this as well. Let's look at some verses that explain this the best I can, okay? Uh, Old Testament saints, Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the high one. Those are the highest one. Those are the saints. Some have suggested this is like Abraham and David and some of the great names of Israel. I, I don't know. I'm just saying this is what they're saying. The, the scholars that I've read, the, the, the people who've done the studies here. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Ultimately, still, God is the ultimate ruler, but they're working with him. Then you have the 12 disciples, Matthew 19, verses 27 and 28. This is a little more clear to me. Then Peter said to him, Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit in his glorious throne, that's the millennial kingdom, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we do know that the disciples would be involved in ruling and reigning. And then we have New Testament saints. That's you and me, those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. We'll be raptured. We'll be coming down with them. And we will be different than we, than we are now. And we'll get to that in just a little bit later. But in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, And everyone who has left houses or brothers, houses or, brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or, or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much as the disciples. Verse 28 is dealing about the twelve disciples ruling over the tribes of Israel. And will inherit eternal life. And then Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood from many, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So that's talking about believers. Then we have the tribulation period martyrs also that are included in this in Revelation chapter 20. Now remember, 144,000 Jews are out witnessing. They've been seeing these great signs in the sky. Many people are coming to the Lord during the tribulation period. I don't believe it'll be anybody who knew about it before the rapture, but I think it's people who learn about it during the tribulation period, that they come to Christ. 
And they, they see these amazing things and get a hold of God's Word and, and put things together and come to know who He is. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the millennium, right? And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. That comes later in the great white throne judgment. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. I like what Layman Strauss says in that little gold box there underneath that. Once God's saints were judged and persecuted by the world and are so treated even now, but the day will come when the saints will judge the world. So don't get discouraged, Christian brother and sister. We are going to be persecuted in this world. I was thinking about this. Our lives and time are just a blip on eternity's scale. It really is. All these light afflictions is what the Bible talks about that we go through for our faith. We win on the other side. So don't get discouraged. Don't get downhearted. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And just keep doing what he told you to do. Okay? Who will be ruled during this millennial age? I thought about that. I I said, who who are these people? We've got all these people on, on thrones, but who are the people being told what to do? Who are the people who are being ruled over? I mean, what good is it to be a king if you're sitting in a room and there's nobody in it, right? So who are these people? Well, we know angels will be ruled by the saints because of a promise that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Does any one of you, which, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go before, to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or you do not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? Now, I don't know what that's going to be like. That's, that's just weird to me. I might judge angels. I don't know, but that's what God says, right? What would you judge an angel for? They don't do anything wrong. I don't know. Maybe we're going to be judging Satan's angels. That's possible. I don't know. Number two, believers who survived the Great Tribulation and the Battle of Armageddon will also be there. You see, after the Battle of Armageddon, it appears that there will be some humans who survived all the Tribulation period. It's a seven-year period of time. Most of us live longer than seven years, don't we? So we get through the seven-year tribulation period, and they're still alive. And somehow God's preserved them through the Battle of Armageddon even. So there's going to be some humans who live all the way through all this. I don't want to be one of those people. Those are going to be some of the toughest days in the history of the world. But God's going to spare some. And remember... God had sent the angels to go gather all of the elect, those who had accepted him as Savior. They're going to be around. They're human. They're they're flesh and blood like you and me, born or saved during the tribulation period. And so they've survived the...
tribulation and the last battle. And those who have accepted Christ as Savior and Lord are called sheep. And they will continue living during the millennium. Those who reject Christ are called goats. And they will be judged and cast into hell. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 34. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He'll put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Who's that? Sheep. Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then uh, verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, who's that? The goats, the unsaved. Depart from me, ye accursed into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So now we're on page 14. And that's where what we talked about on page 9 comes back. The angels had gathered all of the elect from around the four corners of the earth, and they're part of this sheep crew now. They're part of these group that are going to be living during the millennial period. This is what makes sense to me anyway. It's an interesting thing. As I was studying, one of, the, one of the commentators, and I really don't remember who it was, he said, you know, there's only been three times on the, on the, on the face of the earth when every human being on earth is a believer. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve before sin. All right? Mount Ararat, after Noah and his family, gets out of the ark. And the millennial period. The beginning of the millennial period. Doesn't happen all the way through the millennial period, by the way. We'll get to that. But interesting. Isn't that interesting? Now, page 14. Underneath that yellow box. Christians who were raptured, that's you and me, if we're here when the Lord comes, or if we're in the grave, the Lord takes us up. The dead in Christ rise first, right? Christians who are raptured and those who are resurrected, tribulation saints, those who were killed during the tribulation period and then resurrected to rule and reign with Jesus, uh, will not be marrying and having children during the millennial age. They will be ruling and reigning with Christ. Luke chapter 20 describes this. And I explain it. I, I, there's scripture for this. I'm not just making this up, Okay. Luke chapter 20, verses 34 to 36. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they can, cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So this lady over here who now is my wife, during that period of time, is going to be just my sister in Christ. She is that now, but she'll be only that then. She won't be my wife. I'm a little sad about that now, but I won't be then, right? It'll be better. It'll be fine. Because we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ, and everything's going to be fantastic for us. But the humans who survive the tribulation period, they get through this thing, the, four corner, the angels gathering from the four corners of the earth, they will be having children during the millennial period. This is just an unbelievable thing to me. Um, these children are born during the tribulation period when Satan's bound. There's no one to tempt them. Jesus is ruling and reigning with peace on earth. 
and yet some of them still reject the Lord. Why would that be? What kind of a nature do they still have because they're born sons of Adam? They still have a sin nature. Hmm. Even in the millennial period. Isaiah 65. Oh, by the way, the humans who survived the tribulation, they're going to live a long time. How old did Methuselah live? Does anybody remember? Right. As far as we know, he's the oldest man who ever lived. How long is the millennium? Some of them were alive before the millennium kicks in. I don't know how old they're going to be. But they could live a long time, couldn't they? Isaiah 65, 18 to 23. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. That's the Jews. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought a curse. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's going to be death during the millennium. It sounds like there will be. But they will be older people, and they will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and, 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 and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as a lifetime of a tree, so will the days of my people. As a lifetime of a tree. Pastor and I... And Delbert and my father-in-law went up and went and saw those giant redwoods up there. And they said that there were some of those that were there at the flood. Those are old trees. All right. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands, and they will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Page 15. The millennium will be a time of unprecedented peace. There's never been a time like this since the Garden of Eden. I like what William Lasor says in, uh, in the book about the king is coming by William Lutzer. He said, The messianic kingdom on earth is a vindication of God's creative activity. The triumph of God over the satanic dominion of his planet is necessary for the glory of God. If there were no messianic age, if, Christ sim- if God simply picked up the redeemed and remnant and took them to heaven, then we would have to conclude that God was unable to complete what he began. God created earth perfect. And now the millennial period, he gets a thousand years to prove that he could still he could do it. Okay, what's it like? It's like the Garden of Eden. Look at page fifteen, verse eleven, uh, Isaiah eleven, verses four through nine. These are some verses. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide the fairness of the for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. That's that battle of Armageddon. Also, righteousness will be the belt around his loins. And faithfulness, the belt about his waist. Verse 6, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. Do that today and the lamb's going to be inside the wolf, not next to it, right? And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. Do that today and the leopard's going to eat that goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. You do that today and the lion eats the calf. And a little boy will lead them. The lion will eat the little boy too, right? Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Eat grass. Bears eating grass. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. That's just so unbelievable for us. The nursing child will play with the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den 
and they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Isaiah 65, verses 24 and 25, I will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And that's a picture of the, that Don, Queer, uh, Don Malone has painted in our church nursery to let the kids know what they had to look forward to. But yet there will be one final redemption. This is just unbelievable to me. A perfect environment, and yet some people still reject the Lord. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. The number of the people during the millennial period who will reject Jesus Christ will be like the sand on the seashore. Can you believe this? And they come up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. They come around to attack Jerusalem because that's where Jesus has set up his throne. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. It's over. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever. That battle looks like it's going to be a huge battle. And God says, forget it. Just over. Done. Now, do we have anything to worry about? We really don't. God is completely in control. God is completely in control. We'll go on to the last page. And we're out of time. We really are. Page 16, even those who live under the perfect reign of Christ with Satan bound the entire thousand years will have to make the decision of what they will do with Jesus. What a warning. What a warning. We live in a day when we have a choice to make. Will we accept Jesus Christ as Lord or not? Everybody in this world has got to make that choice. We've got to make the decision. What will you do with Jesus? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto men once to die. After this comes judgment. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Even in the millennial period, there will be people hardened by the deceitfulness of sin their own sin nature, and then the devil adds to it. And that's what's going on in our world today. Look at that box on the top right hand, left-hand corner on page 16. To live for oneself. After Jesus has given life for us, his life for us is an insult to our Savior that will not go un- unnoticed. We have every opportunity to come to Christ. We have every opportunity right now to know Him as the Savior. What we do with that is very important. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses one and two, middle of page sixteen. We also urge you to receive. Uh, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. This is a day of grace. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Choose wisely. Choose Christ. 
Let us never forget that time is short and eternity is long. And this is what time has been given to us for, to prepare for eternity. Trust Christ. If you have, if you know of others who don't know the Lord, have an urgency in your heart to get the message to them they need to hear. Because time will stop sometime. Father, we pray that you will help us to understand what we can of what you've shown us about these future days. And to presently live in the light of your coming. So that you can be glorified in our lives and so others will come to know you for the beautiful, wonderful Savior that you are. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.